Is it now? As a new year hits, through it all, Beaver Nation moves ahead with resiliency and hope. Sun's up, mm -hmm. looks okay. The world survives into another day. And the way forward goes through, as it must, the Joe Beaver Show with John Warren and Mike Parker. The number of times I heard these guys' voices over and over and over. Still can't find it. Nah, can't find it? We can help. This here is 1240. 1240. It's always been 1240. My client says it's 1240. Yeah. Plus 93.7 FM and streaming live at KEJOAM.com and on the KEJO app. It's the Joe Beaver Show. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is uh, Friday. I'm John Warren. TJ Matthewson sitting across from me. Could you do me one favor, TJ? Yeah. Raise that about, I don't know, uh, a foot. We've got, uh, I need to keep it down on sunny days so I can see the computer screen, but it can go a little higher. That's perfect right there. There we go. Now we are Get all some set. sunlight. We're not cavemen in here. That's right. That's right. And it can be a cave if we don't do that. Well, okay. The weekend is here, and the weekend usually means... Lots of activities going on, and most of it is on the road. In fact, all of it is on the road. It's going to be a strange weekend where all the happenings. We talked about this before. It's a weird scheduling with women's basketball and men both being on the road and at home at the same time this year. But uh, we're used to it, and here it is. So the Beavers and Washington State tonight in women's basketball. That'll be here on Joe. Baseball with the game against Arkansas. We'll talk mostly about that. Huge, huge showdown. That'll be on 990 early in the evening, 415 on 990. So signal issues, not a problem. And uh, it's just the way it is because we're, we're sticking with the women on Joe. We don't really have – we got the Blazers on, on Clue tonight. I didn't even mention that this morning as they're finally back off of the All-Star break. And so we're busy in that regard. We don't have high school basketball. That'll be next Tuesday. Last one. Last one. The confrontation. And uh, speaking of the confrontation, were you listening on Tuesday by chance? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I need to try and confirm this. Yeah. If you guys remember when you had Trey Johnson on last year. So last year on the day of the confrontation, we had yeah. four student athletes, two from each school, one right. from each of the teams. Right. We had Trey Johnson on who represented the boys varsity team for Corvallis. Mm -hmm. He's a senior. He said, I want to stay in the area. Uh, after I graduate this year, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to be a ref. I'm pretty sure he was officiating last Tuesday's game. Really? And if anyone could confirm that, because I, I know uh, Trey's grandfather called into that show that and, ta and, and talked to you guys a little bit, shed a little bit of background about that story. If by chance... That's interesting. If by chance we can get that confirmed, I could have swore... I was trying to go down and confirm it was him, but by the time I got out down there between games, yeah. the referees left the court, and I, well, I had to get starting lineups and then go back up and make sure I was all good to go. And then by the time I ripped all my stuff down and got back down there, he, he was gone. Well, how cool is that? And, but I'm looking, I'm like, that. I think that's Trey. I want, I want to go confirm that that's yeah. Trey Johnson and say, hey, like, just remember, had you on the show last year. Thanks again. Good to see you're, you're like you're doing this. Like that's great. Yeah, you're and, out here officiating, and the timing's perfect because yeah. they need officials, right? And it just goes to show you how you can get to that level that quickly. Mm -hmm. And you know. 
Unfortunately, could not confirm it though. But that was a that was a cool full circle moment yeah. with yeah. the confrontation. Our final high school broadcasts of the season coming up on Tuesday at five thirty and seven o'clock. Doubleheader, yes. Yeah. Uh, good, especially good girls matchup. This year, who's top first, ten boys or girls on the five thirty. Five thirty will be boys. Seven o'clock will be girls. The girls will be a top ten matchup again. That'll It'll be, be a, that'll be fantastic. And then what? Uh, uh, Sub tournament play the following week. Yeah, and then then the five A tournament starts. I noticed that they've already posted the three A two A one A brackets for basketball. I thought it's it's not done yet, is it? We just got started. It's flying. It's flying through. But yeah, really looking forward to having just another another really quality matchup uh, at five A uh, in our in our final week of uh, final week of coverage. The two weeks they really really go by quickly. And I, I pull up the I see I, as soon as I pull it up, I get the bracket here. And we I'm never to... say no. One thing, TJ, we never say no to carrying high school playoffs if they can fit. Right. But we have to go Beavers, obviously Beavers and Blazers and all that. So if they can fit, and there's been some years where we've gotten several games on. So yeah. So right now. Now, Corvallis is number four, and Crest Valley is number nine in the state. Nice. So that's how it's setting up. Five of the top ten are in the Mid-Willamette Conference this year on the girls' side. It's been it's been good, and Corvallis was tracking towards the league title, but I believe they lost to Silverton, and they have now, um, yeah, they lost to Silverton last week, a week ago, and they are, have dropped down to second. But they, got, they still have one more opportunity. I think uh, everyone plays tonight, and then they'll play on Tuesday yep. again. That's right. Wow! So it'll be good. It'll be it'll be exciting. One good final regular season matchup here on Joe. Yep. Tough loss last night. Um, it was. I watched as much as I could before I had to go to bed. And again, when I went to bed, I just listened to the end on the radio. But I missed. Did you see K, uh, Casey Beckway get get hit? I watched him play in the first half, Mm-mm. and I didn't see. I saw a little bit of the early part of the second half, and I I didn't even notice. No. He ended up going to the hospital with a split oh, man. hip. Oh, ow! Yeah. According to coach, and you look at the the box score, he only got fourteen minutes in, and uh, coach said in the uh, post game, he said, "I we hope Casey's okay. He's in the hospital getting with that uh, that uh, sled. So hopefully he's okay." Did anybody see it? Now we don't have time to get phone calls right now. John Rehorn is going to join us from Oregon State Golf. The only time he could join us was eleven fifteen. Todd McKim will join us at eleven thirty, and then we'll have open phones. Uh, and and we'll talk Arkansas Beaver baseball <laughs> for most of the show. And then at 12.05, Mike Parker will join us. And then, again, Beaver baseball, Oregon State women's basketball, and other things that are going on in sports for the rest of the show. You can always weigh in on the text line, and that is 541-497-5356. And we'll tell you when we can take some phone calls. So, again, <clears throat> final was 81-73. to Beavers led for 32 minutes. And... Um, they gave up nine three-pointers to Cal in the second half, um, but Oregon State shot so well in the first half, they had an eight, nine, seven, eight, nine point lead, 10-point lead. 11 was the largest lead, and then it just didn't hold up, unfortunately, and they ended up losing. Mm. Let's take our break, and we'll come back with John Rehorn, the Oregon State uh, men's golf team with a really good outing recently uh, down in Stanford, and we'll uh, talk about that and where they're about to go as we just touch base with different coaches and their different sports. It was Michael Chaplin from from gymnastics yesterday. John Rehorn, up next on 1240 Joe Radio. All right, TJ. Here we go. It's uh, We continue now with the, the Joe Beaver Show and talk a little golf, which today might, might not be a bad day to get out there uh, and get some golf swings in. Certainly uh, a little, little chilly, but there are people who will do that. Mm. And there are people who will golf in the rain, of which I did, 
This was probably 10 years ago. And I bring this up because our next guest is taking his team in March, March 10, 11, 12, to Bandon Dunes as we welcome John Rehorn, Oregon State Men's Golf. John, uh, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, doing well. So let me just tell you this quick story. I My buddies wanted to get together, go to Bandon Dunes, go golf. I, I didn't want to go. I'm always the worst golfer in the world. It's embarrassing. It's a way, it's, you know, it's a lot of money. Okay, so 10 years ago, 100 bucks to play around, plus $100 for your caddy. They make you have a caddy when you go to Bandon Dunes. And I had this, this gal, this, you know, she was slight in stature, and I had a really heavy bag. And she's saying, don't worry about it. I got you covered. And she helped me by telling, because I golfed the best round I've ever golfed because she told me exactly what club to use and, and how hard to swing. But then I'll tell you the pre-story to this. This was in January, and I was worried about rain. And I, I, So I went to, to Sean at Tristine Tree. said, what do you got? He pulls out this slick cover. It's kind of like a sweater, but it's got the, the slicky on the outside, and it breathes and everything. He pours a bottle of water on it. It doesn't. It just drips right off. And when we get there, it's raining, and everybody in the group, the caddy, my buddies and the other two caddies, who were hot rodder guys, by the way, they all looking at me like I'm five years old going, are you, you sure you don't have a, a coat or something? And it was pouring down rain. This is January in, in, in Bandon. And I'm like, don't worry about me. This will be fine. And they just thought I was the dumbest person in the world. Well, Sean Airy was the smartest because that thing repelled water the entire day. I never oversweated. It was perfect. And this was 10 years ago. I got to ask Sean if he's still selling those because I lost it. But Bandon Dunes, where you guys are headed next. What say you, John Rehorn, <laughs> to uh, that beautiful <laughs> course? Well, I mean, you, you kind of take it for granted that one of the best resorts in the world is only a three-hour drive from Corvallis, Oregon. I mean, there are people that go there every, I think the resort's been open for close to 25 years now, maybe close to 30, actually. Um, <laughs> and there's people that go there every year. I have the, the professional of the golf course that I grew up on was just there last week for his 25th year in a row. Um, so I, Bannon Dunes is a special place. Uh, we actually took the team there about three weeks ago. And we had a day like today where uh, it was 65 and not a breath of wind in January. And the day before was maybe one of the wettest days of my life on the golf course. Mm. So you can get a mixed bag there. Yeah, yeah, then no doubt. Now, it's got a number of courses. I don't remember the one I played, but we it was uh, one of the holes paralleled the cliff. If you if you shanked it, you'd go. it would go off into the ocean, and it was beautiful, but it was windy and, and all of that. Um the the style with the bunkers and everything, the whole links thing, is that something you guys like? It, the challenge of it, I I actually as as just a hacker, I like the idea that if you got a good shot, it would roll a long way because the green would be the green, and then as you well know, it's like it's almost like the whole thing is a green because it's so greenish, if you will, cut down low, way way beyond the hole, in front of the hole. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's definitely a different style of golf. So you have to play the shot a lot more along the ground, especially around the green. I think uh, modern day golf, most people chip with a 60-degree log wedge, and there you can putt it from 20, 30, 40 yards off the green if you want to. Yeah. So, and, and when it's really windy, uh, that might actually be your best bet is to get the ball on the ground as quickly as possible. It's a little more predictable that way. Yeah. 
John Rehorn joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. John, this is TJ uh, here with uh, John. For someone like myself who doesn't really golf, isn't aware of sort of the challenges that Bandon Dunes presents to the to the average golfer. What about this course? You know, it challenges your golfers, and and you think uh, it makes them uh, makes them better. Yeah, well, I think for the course that we're playing, uh, Pacific Dunes, um, in a day like today where there's not much wind and nice, it can be one of the easier ones because it's not too long. But in a really nasty day like John was talking about, it could be one of the most difficult ones because the green complexes are big, but they have like kind of little sections in them. So your your distance control has to be pretty good. There's a lot of runoff that so the balls could run down into. Um, the par threes can be quite difficult if it's very windy. So... I think the iron play will be a challenge at the Pacific Dunes, which I think honestly is better in terms of separating players. Mm. Um, so typically the player that has uh, the best distance control with their irons, the best, you know, and they're able to kind of hit it where they're looking in terms of like controlling their start line. Um, usually those players, at least based on history, seem to have um, done pretty well at this course. So, this event, they typically rotate it around, so they'll play all the courses once a year. The last time we played Pacific Dunes, uh, which is kind of a crazy thought to think about it was long, this long ago, but we actually won the tournament, uh, and then the next day COVID happened and the world shut down. Whoa. Mm. Whoa. Oh. Yeah. That's John, a memory. Yeah, yeah, it is. John Rehorn joining us. And the relationship with the course, is it you guys initiating it, wanting to go there and play, or does the course want to have some college teams come out and play their course? Yeah, the uh, the course, well, it started with Gonzaga University approached the course. Uh, Bannon Dunes has been really good for just hosting amateur golf. They host a lot of Oregon Golf Associations, junior golf championships. Um, so it's more the university initiating the contact. And the, But I think we're going on probably close to year 15 or 16 of tournaments happening at Bannon Dunes now. Wow. John, I, I may have asked you this before. Have you ever been there when there's anybody famous there? Uh, yeah, you know, um, I think I crossed paths with Clint Eastwood. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, that, yeah. I don't remember that story. Yeah, I don't know that we, I don't know if you ever asked me about it, but yeah, I think, uh, it's on Pacific Dunes, actually, the course that we're playing between the fifth hole and the, I'm trying to think of the end of the hole, like 11 or 12 at the par three, they, you walk across to get to the 13th hole, or maybe the 12th hole, and the 50 cross, and they're right there, and this guy said hello to us, and then I looked up, and I was like, oh, that was Clint Eastwood. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And yeah. as far as you know, is it still a magnet for the rich and famous that they they fly their private planes in into the area and go to Bandon Dunes? Uh, I mean, I think Bandon Dunes is a magnet for everybody, honestly. Um, I think right now, like I was saying, like I have friends that are golf professionals that have been going there and taking groups of people from their course for 20, 25 years. Yeah, and right now it's so busy um, that if you have a group of guys or whoever friends you wanted to travel with to go play down there for a few days, you, in order to get advanced tee times and book a hotel there and do the whole thing, like you're looking anywhere from twelve to sixteen months in advance right now. Wow, wow! I don't know how my group did it. I'm sure one of my buddies did it all well in advance, but we had this big house in the middle of the woods, and this thing was huge, and it was built specifically for going to Bandon Dunes. Four rooms, four bathrooms, one one kitchen, one playroom, and, and you knew that that's all it was there for because it did not fit the neighborhood. 
and and where it was. So I think it's that way. All right, let's talk about where you just came from uh, down in uh, the Bay Area with Mateo Fuenmayer going four under in the final round and one under for the tourney. Is he playing about as good as he has all season right now? He's playing well, yeah. Um, he played well in Hawaii, too. He had a couple of holes that kind of derailed him. I think he had a, uh, a couple of other double bogeys in prestige. But he's playing nice golf. Um, Jackson Lake has also been playing really solidly. Mm-hmm. Um, senior, he's having this, is this fifth year. Um, which, yeah, again, it's kind of crazy to go back and think about it. Like I mentioned that tournament at Pacific Dunes. That was the first time he made the lineup as a freshman, and we won, and the season was over. And now this, we're going back, and it's a senior year. Um but yeah, Jackson Lake has done an awesome job of really kind of progressing. I think more so just mentally in his attitude and his approach and kind of understanding who can tick and not being so worried about his golf swing and um, doing as much preparation as he can before we get on the plane to go play the tournament. So both of those guys um, have been doing great, and hopefully we can uh, send them off with a nice, awesome senior season here in the last year. What about Nicholas Quintero? Five birdies and one eagle in his last round. Yeah, I actually walked all 18 holes with Nicholas. Uh, Nicholas has been an awesome addition to the team. He's just uh, a competitor, has, like I talked about, distance control and iron play, and he is probably one of the best on He's probably the best on the team in terms of controlling his irons and controlling his golf ball. And he's just been an awesome addition to the team, works hard, super scrappy competitor. He's, he's, a, you know, he's a, a smaller build guy. I mean, he's probably 5'8", five, 5'9", five, but just um, – hits the ball plenty far, competes like crazy, and it's been awesome to coach him. Last thing, John, and that is between the, the fall season and then the, the spring season, which starts in February, do you shut it down completely? Do you see the guys in the golf facility that you have there inside of Gill? or well, what, what goes on during that time? And do you think the guys uh, came out doing well from, from fall to the first tournament back in February or earlier part of this month? Yeah, I mean, um, we definitely don't shut it down. We got workouts a few days a week, and the guys are in the facility doing stuff. We meet with them. We're, you know, the NCAA limits how many hours we can spend with them. Yeah. Uh, but we meet with them for a couple hours a week, and we do some indoor or outdoor, depending on the weather, like combine, track man, uh, stuff that technology that we use to work on their distance control and their iron play and their putting and do all that stuff with this. And then we have a, a qualifier for our first event in Hawaii, and the, the guys competed really well. We had a nice... After the ice storm and weather, we had a nice stretch of weather where uh, we had gotten some good practice, and I felt like they played at a pretty high level. Um, just need to clean some things up over the next few weeks to get ready for Bannon Dunes. I think we can do a better job of just avoiding some silly mistakes. That's kind of been holding us back. So uh, when our good is when we have our good, we're really good. I think we can compete, compete with anybody, but we seem to be just making a few errors, and especially kind of at the end of the round, like the other day, we were playing really well. Um, had a chance to probably finish in the top 10 in that 2014 field and uh, I think we had a triple and, a, and two doubles to finish and I kind of derailed yeah. it around at the end right yeah. at the end so at the, at the end the score doesn't look like I would want it but I think we did a lot of good things we just didn't finish it as well as it should have at the end so we'll spend some time over the next few weeks kind of trying to put the guys under some pressure as much as we can and where they got to finish some drills and their partners and teammates are relying on them to finish it off. Awesome. John, always good to talk with you. I wish we had more time. Uh, take care. We'll touch back, uh, touch base again soon. Okay, sounds good. Thank you, guys. All right, thanks, man. John Rehorn, Oregon State Men's Golf. Coming up, Todd McKim, next on 1240 Joe Radio. We are in the process of efforting Todd McKim here on the Joe Beaver Show. Mike Parker coming up at 12.05. We will have baseball pregame the Beavers and the Arkansas Razorbacks coming up at 4.15 
on 990. Baseball will be on 990 all weekend. Men's and women's basketball will be right here on Joe Radio throughout the weekend. It'll be an exciting weekend of sports here in, uh, in Beaverland. Thanks for saving me. I got you. I, was, I wasn't ready. I could have dialed earlier, but I didn't. So here we go. All right. We've got, uh, we do have a couple of questions about baseball and radio coverage, and we'll actually get to that. Uh, but first, we want to talk with an old friend. Uh, I wouldn't say old, but uh, a, a friend for a long time, and that's Todd McKim. Completely retired now. No more than half retired. You're completely retired. So how is everything going with that, Todd? It's going great. Living over in Bend, and i got a beautiful day today, so lots to do over here. Uh, don't have to do a lot of traveling. Uh, it's, it's been terrific, John. Thanks for asking. Well, as a guy who's probably about 10 years away from that, are you, uh, what do you, are you, do you have a long list of things to do uh, that someone wants you to do, or can you, I mean, what do you fill your time with? Well, uh, I'd like to do a bunch of traveling, if possible. we got a daughter that lives in uh, Lisbon, Spain, so hopefully go over mm, and see her. Wow. That's times a year, but, uh, Did you tell her to go live there? Things. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's kind of <laughs> convenient to have that as an excuse to go there. Just to have a place to go over there, and uh, Lisbon's a beautiful city, the city of Seven Hills, and wonderful beaches, great food, uh, a lot of um, uh, expatriates from the United States uh, moved over there during the COVID years, and uh, so there's uh, it's great weather, uh, there's a lot to like, and it's a great uh, you know jumping point from there to, to other parts of Europe as well, so yeah. uh, we're looking forward getting over there this summer. I know you're still connected. I've seen you on Twitter. You're, you're watching things and can comment on them. Before we get into that, Mike and I were talking last night on the phone as he was he was uh, at Cal. Actually, it was just before the Cal game on the way over earlier. And uh, just talking about you and, you know, things that we could cover and, and stuff like that. And Mike pointed out that he took over for you and was in Marshfield doing doing radio down there. And then we That's both right. kind of go, well, now, hold on. What, how does Todd go from Marshfield Radio to television in Eugene? Was there anything in between that, or was that your jump, and how did you make that? That was about a two-and-a-half-hour drive. That was about it, John. I, <laughs> I was in Coos Bay doing Marshfield High School games, and, of course, at that time in the Midwestern League, uh, Marshfield, North Bend, you know, played the schools in Eugene. And so um, we would come to Eugene several times uh, during the course of football season and obviously in basketball season, just just about every week you'd make that long drive up and back. And so um, I got to know a gentleman who was the sports director at KEZI-TV in Eugene, Rick Meter, and uh, I would see him at, at the basketball games, um, not so much football, but basketball. And so um, after a basketball season, I guess it was May of two. Well, it must have been 1980. Yeah, it was 1980. Uh, he gave me a call and says, Are you, would you be interested in uh, doing TV? And I said, well, yeah. He said, well, well, my number two guy, John Ray, is left to take another job. I think he went to Portland hmm. to be a producer. Um, <clears throat> so I went up and, and did an on-air um, audition. And a week or so later, he said, uh, we'd like to hire you. So I, I got there literally a week maybe a week and a half prior to the 1980 Olympic trials, which were the Olympic trials that, that meant everything and nothing that year, because that was the year the United States yeah. boycotted the month Olympics. So, but still it was, it was an awesome, you know, awesome opportunity, but I knew very little about track and field. I, I'd been in LA and I'd do some, 
some good friends at UCLA and I went to a couple of track meets there, but that was about it. But I, I, I didn't know anything about splits and, you know, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, I got the job and, and less than three months later, Rick took a job replacing a, a fellow by the name of Bruce King, a long time veteran sportscaster at KOMO in Seattle. He took a job in New York City, and so Rick got the job at Como, and just prior to the start of the 1980 football season, um, the KZI management bumped me up to being a sports director, and the rest uh, is history. So Wow, I, that's an interesting, I didn't know that story. And did you go to school for TV or just radio? You know, it was interesting, John. I went to, <laughs> I went to a broadcasting school in Los Angeles. I lived down there for like two and a half years. I was in retail and I knew that was not going to be uh, my lifetime experience as far as employment was concerned. So I went to broadcasting school. So the KISS Broadcasting Workshop, they had an AM and an FM station, highly successful in L.A., and they had a broadcast workshop location in the old Playboy building on Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> so I was living in Redondo Beach. I'd make the trek up there twice a week, and it was primarily for people that wanted to get into radio, either in production or, at that time, when they actually spun the records, disc jockeys. Yeah. So they had one three-hour course that had to do with sports broadcasting. They brought in a, a guy from KABC, Ted Dawson, uh, and he, he spoke for three hours, went through, you know, what sportscasting was like, this, that, and the other. All the other classes that lasted about three months were primarily, you know, you were on the air trying to, you know, spin the, spin the hits, the top 40, and uh, trying to get your spiel down, or you were learning how to make commercials. So I put together two tapes just to kind of, you know, cover my bases, I guess, the best yeah. way to describe it. One yeah. was sports and news, and the other was disc jockey production. So after I got done with the three months, you know, people send out tapes to, you know, wherever, and I sent them you know, all over the place, and one of them was to, to Coos Bay, Oregon. They had an opening for a 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. disc jockey. So I fire off my tape, and you know, a week later I call him up and see, you know, what the status was of the, the job search, and he said, well, we really loved your tape, but we were looking for a disc jockey. This one just has news and sports. So I had sent them the wrong tape. <laughs> I said, oh, my God, can I play the other tape over the phone? Yes, you can. I played it. I called him back three or four days later. Sorry, uh, we hired somebody with experience, actually, uh, to take that job. Thank you very much. Literally, John, a week later, they call me up and say, our news director just quit. <laughs> when he started. So for anybody out there you know, looking for a job in broadcast or any other business, sometimes it's uh, time and place and a little bit of luck. Absolutely. And, uh, and you can and maybe get the job you want. By the way, was that Dave Walker? Dave Walker was at a competing station. Okay. He yeah. was at, at Coos, K-O-O-S, and I was at K-H-S-M. Okay, yeah. And he was at the country. I knew Dave and his brother uh, had the one station, and I figured, you know, you'd take a stab at it. And, yeah, that's Dave, but uh, no, and, and the late Dave. Like, he was a good, good friend. Yeah, I, he's, I great, he's a good guy. Well, all this I ask because you're one of the best, and, and you know, I'll say it. You're just absolutely one of the best, and I, I, I loved your career, everything you did. And then, uh, you know, missed you when you went down to the Bay Area and you did a lot with Cal. And now you're finally uh, finally retired, which, uh, you know, good for you. Uh, anybody who can get to that spot. But you're dialed in. So I want to get your your thoughts on some of the things that have been in the news lately. Do you have any 
any thoughts on this college football playoff situation where you know they're already talking 14 before they've even played 12 on the playoff situation and Oregon State situation and all of this because as you well know they they're not connected with the Mountain West so they're still kind of an independent that has to be one of those uh, um, qualifiers through being ranked in the top 12 and then you then you talk about well is their schedule strong enough to get there and and the whole nine yards I don't know do you have any opinions on on what's happening right now with college football yeah I hate it mm-hmm. I, I, it's the best way to describe it. they're just destroying everything uh, that, that at least I knew growing up and have enjoyed for so many years yeah um, you know going 12 to 14 I mean <laughs> It's like the old days in the NCAA tournament. It was only the conference champions. There were only like eight teams in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Um, you know, in the old days, you know, when Slats Gill was running that show at, at Oregon State, you only got eight teams and you had to win the conference. So um, th- that I don't mind so much. What I do not like with regard to the college football playoff is the Big Ten and the SEC demanding that they have not only automatic qualifiers for the conference champion. I get that. I'm yeah. fine with that. Conference champions should be in, but they want to have four guaranteed, at least four guaranteed from their league. And I mean, come on now. I mean, maybe in a given year, they could have five or six, maybe. Yeah. They might be like, but I'm not going to, I don't want to guarantee them four because now you got four and four. That's eight. You only got, you know, at best six left. You got the ACC, the big 12 Notre Dame, you know, there's three right there. That doesn't leave much room for anybody else. I don't like the entitlement that those two conferences along with their television partners, who really are running the show, yeah. I feel that they should have. So that's my, that's my big gripe right now. As far as Oregon State, tough situation. I think the schedule, quite frankly, is good enough. You know, you've got to win the games, but it is good enough. I mean, if you win in Eugene against the Ducks, that's got to be big-time points. They're one of the favorites to win the Big Ten Conference next year. You've got Purdue on the schedule. You've got Cal, which I think will be a decent team next year. And then you've got the teams in the Mountain West that the, that the Beavers are playing. I think that schedule is good enough. I mean, it's certainly as good as you know some of those teams like Cincinnati. Right. You know, they were they were in the playoffs just a couple of years ago. So the schedule next year is good enough. I don't know what the schedule is going to be the following year. Yeah. Okay. So that is to be determined. But I think the schedule is good enough. But it's a two-year period, and then after that, all bets are off. So are they going to make hay while the sun shines? Literally. And if they do that, they've got a chance to uh, to make the playoff, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Todd McKim joining us for just a few more minutes here on the Joe Beaver Show. Your timing in, in Berkeley with broadcasting football and then basketball, and you're now fully retired, but your time in Berkeley, were, were you there? When did you go? What year did you go down there from here? Went down there in 2005. I missed Aaron Rodgers by one year. Okay, so but you were there when Oregon State came on the the blue blood scene of baseball. What was the the talk down there amongst Cal people throughout the years that you were there? Was there just just shock and amazement, or did they think you know well, we can do that too? Which they almost did. They they killed the program, brought it back, and went right to the World Series. Uh, what was that like for for a, a Beaver guy from you up here, Beaver and Duck, but through your career? But to just hear what was happening down there when so much great things were happening with Oregon State baseball. Well, I think Pat Casey did did one of the best jobs in the history of college coaching. You know, to take Oregon State to the heights that he did, justifiably going to the Hall of Fame, is unbelievable. I mean, and, and give administration some credit. 
Uh, the Beavers have a, a very, very nice facility. It's certainly better than Cal's, you know. Yeah. So if you put money into a program and you back it and give it support, you got a chance. And not only did they take that chance, but they they went to the top. And so I was, I think I was there when Pat, I won the first one. What, what were the years, John? I can't uh, went in five, won it in six and seven. That's what it was. So I just missed them winning. Um, but I remember the support up there. Uh, when I was up there, it was tremendous. And so kudos to Oregon State and Pat and his staff and the you know, subsequent staff as well for doing what they've done. It's it's absolutely remarkable. Now, now you look at the number of players they're putting into the pro ranks of you know, major leagues. They've got, I mean, they're, they're like the, the, the 26 New York Yankees or 27 New York Yankees with this team. Yeah. I mean, they're the Bombers, right? They're the Beaver Bombers. Yeah. And so it is going to be really fun to watch them this year. Um, it has been already. Um, and to see where it was, what it's gone through, and what they've accomplished is absolutely remarkable. Todd McKim joining us for a few more moments. Todd, this is TJ here with John. I want to get your thoughts on how the Pac-12, how you've thought the Pac-12 men's basketball league has shaped up this season. We had a great game last night with Washington State and Arizona, and, and Cal and Oregon State went down to the wire. So from what you've seen, how do you think this league has shook up so far this season? Uh, the the only su- the biggest surprise I think is that Arizona hasn't run away with the title, and, and Washington State, as we speak right now, has the the lead. They swept Arizona; they're tied as far as wins and losses. So so those to me are the two big surprises. I did not think it was going to be uh, as good a league as it was a couple of years ago when we sent six teams to the NCAA tournament. I, I thought it was a down year in the league. I don't think there's a lot of top-end talent in the league this year. But I thought other than Arizona, I thought Oregon would be a little bit better than the season has been. Although, as I look at the standings today, they're a game in the first place, despite all the, the, the troubles they've gone through with injuries and illnesses, etc. cetera. Um, Colorado's been a little bit of a disappointment. They had a veteran team coming back. Uh, Utah, a little bit of a disappointment, even though they're probably one of the last four in, if you look at the bracketology today. And then I just thought there was probably six or seven teams where, I mean, you could throw a, throw a blanket over them. That, that they were good, they were decent, but not great. Yeah. So the league, you think, will probably end up with three teams in the NCAA tournament, maybe four. Um, but I just thought it was going to be a down league, but I thought it was going to be a competitive league because there was only one, maybe two teams that would be substantially better than all the rest. Well, I, I couldn't believe it. I was watching that game last night. And, of course, the Beavers leading most of the way. And I just looked at, at Haas Pavilion, have been there many times, and watched this team, and I thought, there's no way they're going to make it with North Carolina State and, and uh, you know, all these teams coming in. I, I just I, I can't even visualize this whole deal that has been made, which is stupid, and, and how that's going to look for their record. Um, I agree with you to a large extent. Um, because Cal basketball right now is not on a par with most of those teams in the ACC. But I think they have a guy that can and has energized the program, so the possibilities exist for them to be able to compete. I I don't see them winning the league in the next couple of years, but quite frankly, with the portal these days and the transfer, who who knows what could happen? Cal's four best players are from the portal, and they're all veteran guys. They've all played three to, to five years of college basketball. So 
you know, it's just so crazy nowadays. It's very difficult to build a program uh, from the bottom where Cal was and try to rise towards the top, doing it strictly by recruiting high school seniors. It's just, it's almost impossible to do because, first of all, the Blue Bloods get the best high school players anyway mm-hmm. because they only need one or two of those guys and they fill it in with the rest of those guys are veteran guys. And then the second thing is, is after you play a year or two and you've proven yourself to be pretty good, one of those blue bloods that's got unlimited cash resources is going to come in and skew your guys. So it's, it's really difficult. The travel is going to be difficult. Uh, no question about it, particularly for basketball, not so much for football. You know, you're only going to go back there three times a year, yeah. four, because Cal actually has to play Auburn at Auburn this year. And, and you got a whole week to rest between games. So football is not as big a deal. It's the Olympic sports and basketball that I think are going to be the most challenging vis-a-vis the travel. Yeah. But you talk about the history of the ACC, and quite frankly, this year it hasn't been all that great, you know, top to bottom. Um, you know, the Big 12 is obviously really good. The Big 10 is really good. They're going to get the lion's shares of the, the at-large did. But, you know, the ACC traditionally has great basketball. And so it'll be challenging, but it'll be fun to watch as well. Remember, those teams have to come out of here too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Great, great perspective. One last thing on this. I thought of this as you were as you were talking at at Cal. We already know what Stanford goes through, but what does Cal go through as far as academics and getting guys to come in? You don't hear too many stories about a guy that can't play or or any athlete in any sport at Cal because they didn't make the grades. You hear that at Stanford, though. You're exactly right. Uh, the, the academic component is challenging to say the least, um, but. It's not challenging at Duke or North Carolina, uh, you know, so they can get guys in that are pretty good. Although North Carolina, with their academic scandal a couple of years ago, maybe puts a little asterisk on that one. But it can be done. I mean, basketball, you only need a couple of guys, okay? You only need to go football. Eh, now you need a boatload of guys, especially with the transfer portal. I mean, Cal lost, I mean, 30-some guys last year in the football portal, and they lost 25 or 28 guys this year in the portal. So, But the key is, not so much to get them in, it's to keep them in, okay, if that makes any sense, all right? Because the academic rigors at Cal, uh, they, they got to go to class. It, it's not an uh, online school, as a couple are in our conference, mm-hmm. our current conference, I should say. Um, so they, they've got to go to class. And so not only do they have to recruit a kid that can get in, and you can take an exception here and there that maybe only has a 28 GPA, okay, but you got to keep them in, okay, and so that's the challenging part is to get kids that are going to stay there, uh, and it makes things a little more difficult for them to recruit, and it's, it's certainly shown itself to be true over the years. It's just that it, it's tough to recruit the top-end talent because, you know, even if those guys are really good players, a lot of those guys, some of those guys are pretty good students, too, and, you know, they decide to go to some of the better schools as well because they can play football and they can get a degree. So yeah. challenging, but it's, it's something you have to use as a positive. You know, one of the phrases down at Cal is it's, it's a 40-year scholarship. In other words, 40 years after you've graduated, you're going to have a good job and you're going to make a lot of money out in the business world or whatever field you decide to, right. to enter. So that's the pitch as far as Cal and, and certainly Stanford as well. Yeah, no doubt. Love your perspective. Great talking with you, Todd, and uh, appreciate you coming on with us. Um, and enjoy your retirement. Keep keep uh, keep tweeting, though. We'd love to hear what you have to say about sports. Appreciate it. It was all scheduled to come over for the Oregon State-Washington game last year in football, but 
the rain and the snow in the past prevented yeah. me from coming over with uh, Al Collins, Steve Freese, and a couple other guys. So <laughs> hopefully we'll be able to make it next year. There you go. Thanks, Todd. Talk to you later. You Thanks, guys. Okay, there's Todd, Todd McKim. Good to talk with Todd. Take a quick break. Come back and uh, wrap up this hour here on 1240 Joe Radio. All right. I really appreciate Todd McKim's time. He, he doesn't have to do this. He's retired, and he did. And uh, it's great stuff. Uh, Jan, um, Mike, and, uh, Mike and Todd have known each other for years, but I've known Todd since the early 80s, and he's just a great guy. Now, we didn't get, to, didn't get to ask him now that he's fully retired how his pickleball skills are. Because I feel <laughs> once you retire, that's what my task to you are. You need to become an expert pickleball player. I've only played it once, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. You're going to have a lot more time to play it once you retire. That's and right. You're going to wake up on a Tuesday. It's going to be sunny. Like, what, what am I supposed to do? It all looks like I'm going to play more pickleball. Time to play pickleball. That's the, that's the hot thing right now oh, for, the, for seniors. There you go. It, and it's easy. Yeah, it's, it's easy it to learn. It's, it is it's easy. a casual person's game. It is very easy to learn, easy to play, and and uh, I, I scrolled past a video the other day where uh, this re- it was a video of like watch like stay like staying over with my retired parents in Florida, and the dad had taped like two pickleballs on strings to the to the roof, and he was just sitting there with a paddle going boom, <laughs> boom, 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 boom. You know, I think that's the modern retired person's uh, <laughs> I think you're right. life right now. I got to wake up and got to practice. I think you're right. Uh, you mentioned off the air. How is Marine Layer Podcast going? It's good. It's good. It's it's really good. We're uh, going to be taking a trip down to spring training in a couple of weeks, doing some uh, some social media content down there. That's going to be really fun. Uh, really you looking got forward to it. Passes to get yep. get to players. Yep. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Mariners have been very very receptive of stuff that. We have done, and that others like newer, like not traditional media types have done. They've been a, a lot more open to that over the last couple of years of to podcasters of, and of, stuff of, of like letting people with somewhat like someone of an audience that would want to like have some access, like not full access. We don't get the full access that say someone like Ryan Devish gets right. or the Root Sports people or the broadcasters or something like that. Like can't, we can't go in the clubhouse, but you get <laughs> you get a press pass to go in the box or go on the field. Have you gotten anybody for your podcast yeah. through the Mariners? No. They, it is a little more difficult to get someone through the team, but the, as the team told us, if you get them to agree to it on your own, uh-huh. like you're then good to go. Fine. You're good to go, and that's what we did. Instagram DMs are yeah. are a, a magical thing when, when trying to connect with players, and I think we're up to, as of next week, it will be seven players this nice. offseason. Very nice. It'll be pretty cool. Very cool. It's, it's good, and... You know, when you sit down and you talk, you, you see these professional athletes play on TV, and it's like, oh man, like they just talk about the degrees of separation as we literally talked yeah. about in the break. It's like, like they're, they're, they're stars, they're studs, and all that. And then you sit down and you have a conversation with them. It's just awesome. They're just real, genuine people. And they're, not, genu- they're not that much older than you. No, well, they're not younger than you. In no, some they're cases. not. And uh, like, I want to give a shout out to someone in particular. Uh, well, I, I don't want to spoil who we're having on next week because we've already recorded it and he was awesome, but. One that has already come out that we've talked about, and I've mentioned here on the show before, we talked to Justin Topa. He's a Minnesota twin now. Mm-hmm. He was traded for Jorge Polanco. But when he sat down and talked to him, I mean, I mean, it, it is, it, it's just like sitting here having a conversation, just a normal dude. I mean, yeah, he throws 98, and he's nasty. He's a big leaguer. But, it, like, it just, you get, it, it feel like the, the platform that we have and that, like, in more of a, a podcast sense gets more of a, authentic like personality coming out of athletes these athletes 
answer the same questions so much. Yes. The same, and they're just tired of answering the same questions. And, like, why would they show any personality? They don't have to. Just get the interview over with, 10 right. minutes, right. we're done. But, you know, we sit down and talk to these guys for anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour, depending can, on who we have you on. Can delve a lot deeper. Delve a lot deeper, be very curious. Don't really, like, not really any, like, Places that, like, if a player doesn't want to talk about something specific, they'll mention it. It's mm-hmm. like, all right, we don't have to talk about that. But just sort of learning the the interesting things about people uh, as they're coming up through the minors and then pitching in the big leagues. It's it's just awesome. For example, so I mentioned Justin Topa a minute ago, but Ty Adcock, who got some time in the big leagues mm-hmm. this year, or this past year, and then he'll probably get some more opportunity in the big leagues this year. He was a college teammate with George Kirby. I mean, all these like little things that he used to catch George Kirby in college wow. before he became a, a pitcher, and now he throws 98, yeah. right? And uh, learning about all these things and realizing that he's like also like such a thinker, too, and then you dive into all these little things, and it's it's awesome. It's been a really awesome platform that I feel like we've built up, and um, it's been it's been really cool to see the the work we've put in pay off, and it's it's Very it's great. Cool. It's cool. it's great, but <clears throat> and, and the the connections too. I mean, have been amazing. It's it's met and talked to people that you know I didn't think we would have that much connection with, and now it's like we we can contact them if we need them, and it's yeah. it's awesome. It's it's a lot of fun. Marine Layer Podcast. Podcasts. You can find us on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. All Very thing cool. Mariners baseball. The spring training games start next week. Yes, and you guys will be uh, on top of that, and and we will here too through you, <laughs> TJ. Tell us about the Mariners, um, real quick. We got about a minute and a half. I want to address the a lot of the texts that are coming in. Yes, baseball is on nine ninety. We don't have a choice. Uh, we do not put baseball or any other sports on our FM stations. Those are music stations. They are run by different people. There's no crossover there. So there's that's one issue. Our um, our FM signals for the AMs are translators, so they don't have separate studios and connections to that. So we can't put them on those. And I would just ask the question, what would you do? The, Mar- the women's basketball team is hot right now. The b- baseball team's just getting started. And we're not going to deal with, you know, we're going to be dealing with angry mobs on one side or the other. So we might as well just say, look, we've always finished out basketball before we have baseball go solely on 1240. And it's just a, it's, it's, it's just a, nothing we can do when there's overlap. And when there's overlap, you got to make a decision. By the way, the, the lower signal you get on 990 only occurs at night. So it will be a factor after six o'clock tonight, but Saturday and Sunday games, you can hear 990 all over the valley. And um, it's just what we do. It's what we do. A decision has to be made, and we make it. And uh, we're, we're going to, I mean, the, the women's team right now is as hot as you can get. Mm-hmm. So that's how we got to do it. All right, Mike Parker coming up next at 12.05, one hour in the books. Hey, Siri. Uh-huh? Take me to the Joe Beaver Show, 12.40 Joe Radio. One option is Joe Crow Reservoir in Oregon. Is that the one you're looking for? No. Which the Joe Beaver? The Joe Beaver Show, 12.40 Joe Radio. On it. It's a destination people have sought for generations. Are we near Oregon? And take my wagon train to the Willamette Valley in Oregon. Be sure to come prepared. I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated too. Right on the arm. And with the proper gear. Shall we select our masks? And even in this exacting age. Everything you say comes back to bite you. Come ready to contribute, even if your own son has his doubts. Dad and his mysterious phone calls. <laughs> Remembering what a call to Joe can do. Those phone calls put you through college. As you draw closer... 
surrounding characters. And know this, John and Mike will celebrate when you get here. Arrived at the Joe Beaver Show, 1240 Joe Radio. Okay, here we go. Hour number two of the Joe Beaver Show. Just kind of looking here to see if I can answer a question that was brought up. Uh, let's see. Listen online. Da, 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 da. There's been some questions about radio in Portland. <clears throat> we don't know exactly because we don't work in Portland, but we are part of the big family, so... There are places where you can find that information, and I thought someone said, in fact, <coughs> here's Mike. Mike, I'm going to assume this is you and go straight to you. You are on yeah, the air. It is, it is, and I apologize. Well, off the air? No, you're on the air. We're on the air right now. So, oh, on the air. Okay, yeah. yeah, I thought so. I don't know why my phone didn't ring. I'm just sitting here looking out at San Francisco Bay, thinking of Otis Redding and looking at Alcatraz and the Golden Gate Bridge and a beautiful view from the Claremont, expecting the phone to ring, and I looked up. It was 12.06. I was wondering all the while what open you would be playing on my behalf going into this segment, but I was thinking too much about his writing, and I didn't hear the, the call, and so I apologize. 21. DJ. 21. 21, uh, they were Oregon and Woody, and we're near Oregon. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a yeah. place, Siri, take me, arrive. Okay, yeah, and you, I, I did that for you because usually when you're gone, on the second hour, we always play this year's open for the first hour, but for the second hour, as TJ well knows, I like to pick the longest one there is, just to give us a, a little more time. And there's a few minute 40s, minute this, whatever. But then... Yeah, that's true. But since you are here coming on in honor of you, 21 is only a minute 16, and I thought, ooh, I'm going to shake it up <laughs> with Mike and play one that he doesn't think I'll play. Then you needed it longer, and I wanted to. I always like to be on hold and kind of hear and get a feel for the context. Sure, and sure. Next, this fall, this fall, like I haven't, you know, been working through. We've had some good suggestions from people about, but you know, somehow, somewhere along the way, I think we'll work in Heston. You maniacs, you blew it up. That's about <laughs> the only thing I know for sure. Oh yeah, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, you blew it up, you maniacs. <laughs> um, yeah. Quick question. Uh, you had told us the other day, now TJ couldn't remember if it was last week going into the weekend or if it was earlier this week for this weekend, that Shacker told you where certain things would be carried in Portland because we got a, qu- a question on the text line. Oh, do you well, remember? And I'll have to forward you that material. I don't know it. I didn't memorize it, read it, study it, yeah, memorize it. Yeah. But I have Hacker's, uh, Mike Shacker's text or email that has that. I thought I forwarded it to someone, but I will forward it to you guys so you can have that to answer a little bit later. Yeah, just just for the the listeners because we're we're putting these games on nine ninety the baseball games because we're still in basketball season. The women are are red yeah. hot, and and there's only two days, or actually there's only one one half of a well maybe two thirds of a night where the signal will be low, and that's tonight. Otherwise. Tomorrow in the afternoon and Sunday in the afternoon, baseball on 990 can be heard far and wide. It's not an issue at all. We can't stream that. Good. We'll stream basketball. Um, but the Varsity app, which is a Learfield deal, I hate pushing anybody over there away from us, but that's where the baseball stream will be, and you can catch it that way too. But but as hey, it is, and, go and ahead. on 990, 990 is a good signal, Johnny. I remember living in Portland, and as you know, the... The 
you and I both seek out radio frequencies that are maybe sometimes obscure to try to pick up programming. We know right. particular stations and markets carried. And I remember there was a period of time when 990 was classic country. Yeah. And they would occasionally play, you know, some of my old friends like Marty Robbins and uh, Don Gibson and Bob Lumen. And so, you know, I, I found 990 on occasion and would listen to it driving around in Portland. So, I mean, it had enough strength yeah. to carry not always great, but it was worth it to me to find some of my old, my old country. Exactly. Exactly. Mid Valley, 990 yeah, Mid Valley daytime, not a problem at all. I get it. Nighttime is terrible actually. Yeah. So we've only I got understand. part of tonight. The game will start well in advance. Six, about around six o'clock is when it'll get, the signal will get weak. But that is what it is, and and that answers that question. So say hi to TJ. We're just sitting here uh, talked with Todd McKim earlier. That was fun. Todd is always a great conversation and and um, very knowledgeable. But and I learned a few things. You and I were talking about, you know, how did he get from from. Uh, radio in marshfield the television in eugene and he i don't know if you heard it yes. but he basically said well no I, I heard the last part of todd's always informative uh just i mean he he knows stuff about everything yeah and i love listening to him talk but i missed the first part of that so what was the answer well he, How he, did it happen? he went to a broadcast school in la got a job working in at marshfield or you know at a station in coos bay he wanted to do sports they only had a news opening he took that and then ended up doing sports as he would come up to do games in Eugene, because they're in the same conference at that time, all 3A at that right. level, as you well know, uh, the one of the directors at KEZI, just, he got to know him, and he said, hey, would you like to give TV a try? And he said, sure, and the rest is history. It might have been Rick Meter. Remember yes, Rick yes, Meter? yes, I think that was what... I, I, think, it might have, I think that's who he said it was. I, I, Rick Meter was a good sportscaster, and he probably saw him Todd immediately, listening to Todd, maybe sitting by him along, you know, along the way at games or covering him. That this was a, a young, talented, ambitious, uh, enterprising reporter type of versatile skills who would adapt well to the television mm-hmm. world, and and Todd certainly did that. He was great for so many decades in our market, no doubt. Um, before TJ chimes in, I got one question that's, that I just don't know. I watched as much of the game as I could until bedtime, and then I listened. I listened to you on the radio. Hey, Alyssa, I heard you on the radio. And uh, Hey, thank you. Yeah, no, I didn't say anything. <laughs> I just said I listened to you. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm glad. <laughs> what happened to, to Casey? All I know is that, that I was listening to the game, the end. I, I turn it off, go to sleep, wake up, play part of the post game with Wayne, yeah. And Wayne says, well, we're real we're, we're, we're worried about Casey. He's in the hospital getting his lip stitched up or something. Yeah. What happened? Well, he, it, it had you know, kind of an eerie, it reminded me uh, moments uh, after Reagan Beers and her injury against UCLA last Friday night when she was lying in, the, in almost the exact same part of the floor that Casey Abekwe was at Cal last night. I, I have not seen a replay of it. I only saw in real time that he came over to contest the shot and took uh, an elbow inadvertently to mm-hmm. his lip. And I didn't know it was to his lip. I just, he, he immediately kind of grabbed his face and there was blood mm-hmm. and a pretty good, a pretty profuse flow of blood. Mm-hmm. And towels were brought out and Nick Bees, the trainer for the team who travels, was uh, quickly put into action, got towels around his face, and then led him 
into one of the training rooms there at Haas Pavilion, and that's all I knew until the end when Wayne, on the postgame that you're alluding to, talked about going to the hospital with a uh, severely split lip and had it stitched up and then returned to the hotel last night, as I learned this morning, you know, as uh, around the guys a little bit this morning, he's in some pain. He's stitched up. I'm not sure what his status is for tomorrow. Mike, John floated something to me yesterday that I have a burning question about. I'm hoping that you two can clarify a little bit of, of because I know John said he had some, some extra notes and research on this. The floating court at Stanford. How do... I, I did look into it, Mike. What, do you know what, what you know kind of phenomenon was this? Well, yeah, I don't. I, I just remember it was unique in time, and I mean, you literally could feel the bounciness of the floor while broadcasting the games. I mean, it just. I, I don't know exactly why it was created that way, John. Have you done more research on I it? I did. Because I don't know the answer to that question. I. And you seem to remember when it was that it changed. I don't remember that exactly either. We'll be at the new Maples again tomorrow, but I don't, I don't know the history of the floor very well. Yesterday we were previewing the games, and it kind of just kind of organically came up, and so I talked about it because, as you well know, when you come in, when you came into the floor for shoot-around or whatever, it's the weirdest thing in the mm-hmm. world. It's bouncing up and down several inches, yes. it feels like. Well... The research that I did did not come up with the origins, like a, an article about here's this new experimental floor. I couldn't find that, but I did find several articles yeah. on the demise of it because it was back in 2004. Mike Montgomery was coaching, and they decided to do the $35 million renovation on Maples. And one of the renovations was going to be to take the floor out. So they basically talked in reverse about it. They talked about how... Uh, mm-hmm. Now, Montgomery was very quick to the, to the negative feedback from the outside, saying that it caused a lot of injuries for Stanford players. He wanted to dispel that. I, I don't know why, but he just said, no, no, that's, that's, that's ridiculous, but we are changing it. I did read that the cause you know, of... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. You did read that the cause of what? Because I want to talk about tartan floor surfaces. Well, that there were, yeah. No, there were some some injuries and maybe some more than normal to Stanford players. But I can see how you would get them because if the floor is bouncing up when your leg is going down and you're not, prepared to meet it because the yeah. last you know what i mean and so there were some some leg jams and some ankles and things over the years but no one wanted to say that that's why they were getting rid of it they just wanted to get rid of it they i couldn't get any any quotes as to why they built it in the first place but it was the only place in right. the in the in college basketball or any basketball that had it and they didn't talk about springs it said there was an interwoven crossing um, support boards underneath it that caused it to do that. Almost as if the sentence was written almost as if they didn't even mean for it to bounce like that. Yeah. <laughs> These are mysteries of, you know, which I haven't plumbed or studied. And I've learned more today about the history of that floor than I think I ever have before. But it was always, you're right, John, you walk in and say, wow, this is different. <laughs> Certainly unique in time, as was my junior year playing Crescent Valley High School coming up from Cottage Grove and playing on, how, how popular were, John, do you remember, did you ever play on, does TJ ever know of such things as a tartan 
surfaces for basketball courts, mm-hmm. and I remember CV had that. I didn't like it. I blistered pretty badly at the end of that game. So I'm wondering if anybody who's been around, Kip Carlson, Kip, where are you? Are you now? <laughs> or anybody else that knows. But, I mean, why? Was that a cost measure? Was it considered to be a better surface than wood? Was it cheaper? Why did they go away from it? So you bring up Maples, and I bring up Crescent Valley High School because I experienced a unique surface there my junior year in 75 as we lost 75-55. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't... I Do not you know about that, John? No. In fact, I've never played on one. I've seen a couple but never played on them, and I don't have no idea of the origins, but click, I'm sure they quickly figured out they're no good and let's get rid of it. The only thing that I can yeah, say about I floors that's different, here, here's how old we are. I, here's what I can say about floors that are different. Way back in the day, this is for you, TJ. I'm listening. Mike, you tell me if you know of, <laughs> if you know of this as well, because you're a few years older than me. Way back in the day, we're talking 30s, when uh, basketball was fairly new, I mean 50 years old, whatever, there would be some schools that couldn't fit a court, a full court, in their gym, smaller schools. So there would be three lines at midcourt, the center line and then two lines on either side of it. Mike, tell me you know this. And then the rule would be you would go, you would take it out of backcourt, you would have to pass the front of the three lines to get it in the front court, and then after you did that, you got the back of the three lines as your your backcourt, if you know what I mean, you can, yeah. you got to go over the far line to earn the ability right. to have the back line be your half court now. Hmm. And that was so they could yeah. fit courts in because, and we're talking twenties and thirties. And I actually saw one of those right. when I was a kid, Doc. I never did, even though many people felt that Cottage Grove High School, where I played, still had one of those courts. <laughs> you know, and it actually, it actually was. But yeah, but it's funny you say that because you know courts in '94. Cottage Grove High School wasn't big enough. It was 84 feet. Our court was 84 feet, Ooh. not 94. So I kind of know, and that's what people would talk about, our old barn, Barney Holland, the legendary coach at North Eugene, who had Danny Ainge and yeah. back-to-back state champs, was quoted in the register. Guy, well, we got to go down to the barn in Cottage Grove, and we'll see how we do there, you know, that type of thing. He did fine. He played well and did fine <laughs> in the old barn with Ainge. But... But our court was only 84 feet, so I do know of which you speak. Yeah. Uh, it also was a blessing to us that it was only 84 feet because when we would do three-man weave for 20 minutes at a time, it was only 84 and not 94, and thus didn't quite kill us. Well, you weren't working hard enough because everybody else that was running numbers and <laughs> yeah. lines had to run farther than you did. So this whole flip right. story no, stuff is, right. is nothing. So we thought we were wor- we thought we were working harder than we were, and the double separators weren't as long either. But we ran a bunch of them to make up for the lack of length. Now, if we're on the topic of nostalgia for both of you, when when the baseball game rolls around tonight, what what's the nostalgia going to be like this evening? Well, you know, that's only six years ago. We prefer talking about the 30s and 40s. I prefer talking about the great Gatsby with Sophia Esposito. You know, in fact, I, read, I don't know if you heard me, John, refer to a player for Cal who went, you know, from Long Island and how I peppered Sophia Esposito with mm-hmm. Western Sophia, a freshman gymnast. And I met her the other day when I was doing a podcast with Ron Callen, and Ron was going to have Sophia on after me. So I meet Sophia Esposito. Where are you from? from Long Island. Oh, and immediately I'm just all over. 
Oh, the great Gatsby, uh, you know, the setting for yeah. the great Gatsby and the great novel, and just peppering it with questions. And, you know, do, they, do people still there commonly refer to areas, East Egg, West Egg? Oh, she was looking at me blankly, and it felt a little bit like Bruno Kirby talking to Meg Ryan and when Harry met Sally and talking about Jimmy Breslin, Jimmy Breslin, Jimmy Breslin. I love Jimmy Breslin. Meg Ryan finally says, well, I guess I'll just say I'm not that much of a fan of Jimmy Breslin. Bruno, well, he's the reason I became a writer, but it doesn't matter. So he moved on to Carrie Fisher, of course, and all worked out well eventually for Harry and Sally and everybody else. The point being that I wanted to talk to Sophia from Long Island about the great Gatsby, and it almost I felt like she was saying, I guess I'm just not that big of a fan of that Scott Fitzgerald. She didn't say it, but that's what I felt. So here you are now bringing up nostalgia about six years ago, TJ, and maybe that does qualify as nostalgia, but all those images are so fresh in my mind that I do think that it won't take much for Beaver Nation and all of us to think fondly, nostalgically maybe, but to think fondly about those last two games, as I referenced in the broadcast last night in Cal, that Josh will have the call uh, from Globe Life with the Beavers meeting Arkansas for the first time since the last time in Omaha. And I said those last two games bring up some of my best memories of all time. How about you, Johnny? And Beaver oh, yeah. Nation, I think, would agree. Yeah. Those are unbelievable events in time. Yeah, well, we're going to be talking about that series pretty much after we talk with yeah. you for the rest of the show. And I don't know if it's as much nostalgia for me. I mean, you guys are locked in watching those games. I mean, I, mean, I during that time, I was in the Cape League interning, and we our games were played at the exact same time that those College World Series games were going on. So I didn't get to watch it. Mm. You know, I turned the game on. Yeah. A, I turn on the highlights after to see that, you know, Arkansas drops a ball in foul territory on the first base side, and then Trevor Larnick hits an absolute screamer down the right field line. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe they did that. That's incredible. And I then know. having to turn it on the next day and see that, oh, this guy Kevin Abel threw a 129-pitch complete game shutout. <laughs> in game three it's just incredible yeah. right uh, like just a little uh, i guess a different level of n- nostalgia for me but still uh, still good yep. nonetheless still very memorable i'm glad you watched those tj even though you had no stake at that point or had no idea at that point in your life that someday you'd be speaking to uh, beaver nation on a regular basis and being involved in our community but you were enough of a fan of the sport college baseball and the spectacle to be tuning in and have a frame of reference for it. So that's cool. That's good on you. Thanks for that. Uh, real quick, you got to go, but uh, a question came in. Did Jim Wilson blow out a knee on that court at CV? Well, I, I don't know that. And if he did, uh, that's a question I'd have to ask the big fella himself. Right. I've never heard that. Right. But... If somebody probably, I mean, that's local history that people probably have a much better feel than I have for. I remember, you know, Tom Phipps, our coach, uh, you know, who went to Oregon State, but knew of this new phenomenon of a school, fairly new, in Crescent Valley when we played there in, uh, I think, December of 74. Uh, It was still a pretty young and new school. He took us through the hallways a little bit like Dave Baldwin used to take his San Jose State team through Stanford. Look at all this stuff they got. Mm. <laughs> yeah. and the, the beautiful new hallways of the school and the, the bright new gym with this weird floor. And Phipps was walking, we're walking up and down the halls. You see all this stuff they've got? Well, you're tougher than they are. You're going to go beat them because you're tougher. You know that final score, CV 75. 
Cottage Row 55. No matter how tough we were, they were better. <laughs> but I remember, uh, I remember uh, thinking that we were very impressed with the look of Crescent Valley High School as compared to our old barn gym as well as our old hallways. That school has since been raised, and there's a nice new school in the Grove down there now. But I'd never heard the story from Jim or anyone else about the possibility that he might have injured yeah. me on that. We'll have so to ask I, him I've that. I've never heard that. I don't. Yeah, I will. We're I will. getting uh, we're getting um, several people writing in about tartan floors and playing on them and and stuff like that. So we'll take Good. it take it up. All right, Doc. Thanks for uh, chiming in, and we appreciate your time. Have fun. And, uh, and yeah. it was so close. You know, they led most of that game last night. I know. It just, know. It's frustrating. So we'll see what happens of it. Yep. 32 minutes of it. The last five minutes were tough. Just, gosh darn it. I mean, I, I'm just about to get on the bus with all the guys yeah. who are working hard. They played really well in a lot of stretches last night. I just love to see them, the guys, be able to break through and uh, to get one tomorrow. They played Stanford well at home, so yeah. let's see what they can do tomorrow on the peninsula. All right, thanks, Doc. Have have a good thanks, time. Thanks, guys. Good right. talking to you. Talk thanks. to you later. By the way, Mike brought up Reagan Beers. We don't know, still don't know to yeah. this point, whether or not she's going to play this weekend. Um, you know, no information mm-hmm. at this time, so uh, that's all I can say about it. So let's take a break. We'll come back, and uh, we're getting... Uh, I'll just put this out there. If anybody else heard this, did we get interrupted by a bunch of commercials? Was that online? Was that on the regular feed? Did did it did anything happen with a bunch of commercials while we were in that interview with Mike and then a previous interview? And the only reason why I don't know is because we listen on our air signal in the studio here, but there's a lot of white noise and scratching, so we move it over to a studio signal, and so when you and I are on the air, we something bad might happen that we don't really hear, and I forget about that. I say, oh, we need to have someone listening so we, we don't go on without not knowing. That happened at the end of the program the other day. You had to come in and say, you guys are done. You're done. Oh, we didn't know. So I, we're listening on air right now, and it's annoying because we got all this scratching in eerie stuff coming in our ears, but... For most of this show, we've been on this studio monitor and wouldn't know if it was an air problem of commercials coming over. A lot of times things happen on the Internet that there's no way we're going to know that. So I know our listeners are really good at saying what they've heard. Did anything go wrong on the actual terrestrial antenna while we were on the air, or was it probably mostly a uh, an internet thing which we couldn't have fixed anyway i don't know what that is with that question we got a lot of emails on some topics that we've already discussed we'll hear from the uh, the coach of arkansas and talk some arkansas beaver baseball when we return on 1240 joe radio the numbers fire away give us a call 541-497-5356 i love it when a good plan comes together tj mm, All right. me too so here I am back into our studio monitoring system so you and I don't go crazy because I'm pretty sure it's not an issue. I'm going to answer this sure. and go ahead and look at some of these other things and we can answer them on the air. Yeah, so let's get to the University Honda text line, 497-5356. Catch up on a, on a couple of texts here. I do believe we, we fixed the the or 
sourced out the problem of what we had going into break. It's a tune-in thing, not not an us thing. It's not. The, if tune-in plays commercials, we don't control tune-in. They're, they're obligated to try and make money off of our feed, and right. that's how they do it. And they've so, done weird things, too. I've been listening yeah. to a game. I'll be walking in the woods listening to tune-in. I remember baseball. This was a couple of years ago, and it'll be in the, the like the sixth inning. And then out of nowhere, it will skip back to the third inning. And I actually wrote to TuneIn and said, "What or call? I don't remember what I did. Said, what's going on here? And they, they couldn't understand what my question was, and I just let it go. So bottom line is, I shouldn't react to everything that comes through on the text line because only one person said that. Mm-hmm. But now that it came up, it's good because we're getting a lot of reaction to it. On a few other things that do go wrong, let, just we'll just let you know. TuneIn is its own thing. If you were to go to kejoam.com and listen online... I don't. Can you do that on your phone? Yep. So if you do that, you won't have the same. You won't have the problems that right. that, that TuneIn has. Right. And again, when you when you're telling us something, especially when we're on the air, try to be specific because the the text was, you know, you're getting interrupted by commercials. You're getting interrupted by commercials, and it sounds like this person's real irritated. Well, what are you talking about? Are you talking about the actual radio, or are you talking about the stream? And we've got people listening. Uh, in, in their cars and on the radio station here in town, Reynolds and, and Orange One and all that. Thank you for those those texts because that, that does help kind of clear things up. Now, with that, uh, let's go and we want to address some of these other texts because they come in about Crescent Valley and the old uh, that old flooring style and a few things on that. On that I didn't know basketball court. Uh, yeah, basketball court layouts were no, no, no. such an interesting topic. You're way too young, and as I bring Dave and in... Don't play basketball. Dave. Don't play basketball at all. Have you been listening to the show, David? Yes, uh, pretty much. Did you hear, did you hear my, my point, or my, my story, if you will, to Mike and TJ about those you know, third courts where you go over the far line to, to get out of backcourt, but you get the back third line automatically as you're now front court. Do you know of what I speak? Well, isn't that the way high school girls basketball used to be arranged? No, no, it was because it was because some schools the 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 room was too small. There wasn't long enough for regulation size courts. So the way they did it was having three lines at midcourt and then if you're coming out of the backcourt you go the full length of the third line. And once you cross that line, you can go backwards to the other back third line for your now current front court, if that makes sense. I think I can picture that, but I'm not familiar with that, nor have I ever seen that. But I do remember when my sister played high school basketball. Now, we're talking late 1950s. Yeah. Only one, only one player could, could run the full court. There was, there was kind of a... A midfielder kind of like player. Mm-hmm. Uh, the girls were not considered strong enough. I mean, can you imagine yeah. having this conversation with Reagan Beers right. or Tilia von Holoff? And they weren't considered strong enough to run the full court. So there was a bridge. So some were some players were positioned in the full court, some in the back court, and there was one player in the mid court, and that was the transition player. From offense to defense, <laughs> yeah. you can imagine that. Yeah, you can't do that. By the way, while you're talking, Bob, listener Bob writes in to say the original court at Monroe High School was a short court. I, there would be some people who would who would know what I'm talking about, but we're talking really old, Dave. We're talking courts that were made in the 20s and 30s. 30s. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Um, well, the reason I called in uh, 
the, the conversation, little Arkansas uh, baseball, and of course our perennial college football alignment and uh, uh, and playoffs. So, where PJ? I'm sure you could find this quickly. You're the tech guy. Where is Kevin Abel these days? I mean, that's a good question. Let me let me look. Is he making any progress? I, I often fear, guys. Well, this is no one really likes to talk about it, but you often have to wonder if he kind of uh, if he overextended himself in that mm. college World Series game and uh, was was never is never going to have the career that he might have otherwise. He reached high A Dayton last year in the Reds organization, six three two ERA and thirty one and a third. That's not a lot of innings, is it? Not a lot of innings and not a good ERA. Yeah, yeah, that, that's kind of sad. Well, uh, well, let me move over again to the favorite topic. I presume you fellows have heard, because there's there just a constant churn in college football. I mean, the, the madness, the psychosis, going back to late August, it's still at the same pace. Now the rumor I heard, is that, uh, I think Kirk Schultz might have been the source of it. I wasn't able to see John Wilner's column. It might have come up there. It might have originated elsewise. But apparently Schultz reported that in the discussions earlier this week, there was uh, talk about going immediately to a 14 or 16 team playoff in 2026, just kind of preliminarily, no decisions were made, in which, get this, eight teams, Combined, four each from the SEC and the Big Ten would qualify, and every other conference champion would fill out the field. So there'd be eight from the Big Two, and then with the other eight conferences, there's ten altogether, I believe, uh, you, you would fill out uh, the, the whole field. And uh, so a reaction to that, and then maybe a more substantive topic of consideration to the extent you guys have thought about it, yeah. I presume you listen to. I go, presume you guys listen to. Yeah, go ahead, John. No, no, sorry, Dave. Uh, go finish. Uh, finish your thought. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Well, uh, Colin Cowherd is always talking about what a great idea this realignment is, and all the big schools mm. being in one conference because it'll bring eyeballs. But I'm wondering if if the powers that be in the networks these conference execs, uh, commissioners, and the athletic directors realize that they're, that they're destroying the whole ecosystem of college football. In other words, I used to be, as a fan of Oregon State, used to watch college game day religiously from beginning to end, certainly from when it began at 7 and ran to 9, when it started at 6, maybe not so much. But is the, is the great mass of college football fans, the larger number of whom are fans in aggregate of Oregon State, Washington State, uh, Kansas State, Fresno State, University of Massachusetts, University of Maine. You get the picture. The greater mass of them are adherents and alumni or fans of the larger number of the 130, 250, however many schools play college football. And that if you relegate in a counterintuitive fashion. Relegation means a certain thing. But if you relegate college football just to the top 32 teams, won't that become boring after a while? And, 
And do they not lose the interest of the fans of the other 200 colleges and universities across the country who are now playing at a different level of football? Yeah, so here, here's how what I'll respond to that, Dave. I saw a really good clip online yesterday for all those who peruse the interwebs. Josh Pate, who hosts Late Kick, it's a YouTube, YouTube show through 24-7 and CBS Sports made a really really good point yesterday. He tweeted out this clip. It's about four minutes long talking about the expanded playoff and why he hates it, why he hates the idea and hates the direction it's going. I don't really want to steal from him, so I'm going to direct people to go to that to to look at his points. And I agree with every single point he made of essentially the leaders of college football and the people directing this whole thing sort of trying to redefine and remarket what makes a successful college football team. Like what, like what is good for these athletes and what's not, right? And it, he, he goes into a, a little bit of detail there, again, that I don't want to steal from him, so I'm going to redirect there. But in the end, yeah, not, not a huge fan of that. And really, it's, it's secondly just like boiling down to that it's really just not a true championship. It's not. Well, like the, and, and I, I agree with you, TJ, but I agree with you, Dave, too, yeah. in that if it's 32 and we're not a part of it, I lose interest, and I would think every other Beaver fan would lose interest. Uh-huh. I would may- maybe, quote-unquote, look in on a, quote-unquote, championship game for 10 minutes. But the rest of my time, I'd be getting into whatever league and whatever stature Oregon State was in. It, and it also kind of feels like a losing battle, right? If they're going to try and go down to 32 teams, right? And it's like, all right, well, we're going to just put all of our games on every single Saturday. Well, the, the, the difference, like, it, then they're now trying to, com- like, realistically compete with, with the NFL, which is a losing battle, by the way. They think they're going to they're gonna just stack up against the National Football League and win. I mean, that's, that's like, that's not, <laughs> that's not going to be the case. I mean, just think of all the days a week, especially as the season gets later in, right, where, uh, like, the NFL will have Thursday, Friday, uh, Sunday, and Monday. And leave college football to only Saturday games, which I mean, is a problem when you jam all the games in. People only have so much interest, and you can only watch so many games uh, at at one time. So I mean, you have that factor too. But I saw something else come out later this week that like the NFL is not even not happy with this either because they're looking at this and they're like, hey, we have it like in law that once the end of November hits, we get Saturdays. You don't get Saturdays anymore. You play your bowl games during the week, and we get the weekends. And now that this is happening, you're like, oh, what are you doing? Hmm. Like, this isn't allowed. So it just, there's so yeah, many I, levels to this. It's, yeah, it's, but, and to, to respond to your cowherd thing, like, it's not a shock he says that because he works for Fox. Yeah, that's Fox. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I'm he's, he's doing what he's supposed what to. Said. Yeah, John, I want to pick up on your thread because just to kind of not overly interpret it, but to, to see if there's a, a, a mutual consensus here. In other words, I think what you're saying, and certainly to put it in my own words, mm-hmm. when Oregon State was one of the 130 schools, let's say, that included Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, and Notre Dame, you were interested in those other schools because that was part of your universe, right. as it were. Right. But if they've, if they've kind of gone off and done their own thing, then that's not our universe. That's not our neighborhood anymore. And, we're, and they're going to do their thing, and we're going to have to do our thing. But I guess reciprocally, John, do you agree that once the cowherds, the foxes, the ESPNs, the Reese Davises do that, and I'm asking you to prognosticate a little bit, I guess their bet is they're going to gain eyeballs and going to gain audience 
my suspicion is that there are more people like you and I. Uh, I'm not going to watch three hours of pregame talk about Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Georgia. I mean, I'm just not. No. I, I can get that on that on Sunday morning with the pregame NFL show. Yeah, and I, I agree. And, and, and because here's the thing. Those schools, those top 32, already have college football fan. They have their local team fans. And if there's any fan that doesn't have a team, they just like college football, I don't know very many of those people. Generally, everybody has a team. They're already watching those teams. So you've got right now, you've got all of college football watching college football game day to learn about Alabama and Michigan and whatever. But if you've only got those teams playing in this 32-game semi-pro and everybody else, quote-unquote, again, relegated, then you lose those people, I would think, to what they're, what they're doing. In other words, if, if we're never going to be on game day and, and the, the leagues and the level of competition is never going to be mentioned, if game day is all about the top 32, then no, there's no reason for, for the fan of a school that's not a part of all that to, to peek in on it. Some will, but I, I think they would lose quite a lot, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't know if that's just wishful thinking on our part or rather a true sense of the dynamic of the uh, college football uh, audience. Uh, I, I, it's, it's just an interesting, uh, uh, very interesting time. You just uh, kind of have the hope for the best. Well, anyway, thanks for taking my call, yep. guys. Always enjoy, enjoy the conversation. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Dave. Have a great weekend. C- can I add something before yeah. we go to Andy here? Can I, can I just like ask you a question? Because I was thinking about, we actually talked about somewhat of the same thing on the Marine Lair last night. So we have a segment at the end of our podcast on Fridays where we'll just talk about something besides baseball. Mm-hmm. Right. And this came up, this came up cause I've like had some stuff I wanted to say about this. And I, and I was just thinking, is there a, a, like, is there, do you think there's a, a cap for viewership on college football? Is there a limit to what people are interested? Because with the NFL, it does not seem like there's a cap. They just had 8 more million people watch the Super Bowl than they've ever had. Yeah. I mean, they blew the ratings out of the water. Is there like could is that possible with college football? Is there a limit? That like, is a great question. Do you think so? It's more possible than the NFL. That's what I, I think. think. I, I feel like we're going down the road here where eventually there's gonna be a limit on the amount of people who want to watch college football because the one day a week sport for most people is already owned. It's and, already reserved yeah. for Sundays. Yeah. And the fact that some of these networks are going to sit here and ask you to do it again on a Saturday for another 32-team league that's trying to be propped up while telling most of the country the teams they grew up rooting for you know, really aren't there. And I, I feel like we're eventually going to get to that point because there's only so many people who want to spend a whole day like doing that kind of stuff and ask for those kind of uh, ask for those kind of numbers outside of say a you know a Columbus or an Ann Arbor or a Tuscaloosa or a Tallahassee or somewhere somewhere like that. It just yeah, it just kind of kind of it just kind of feels like we're going that way. There's only so yeah. like the NFL. It's just so unique. It's so unique, and unless you you can't replicate it. There are leagues who tr- literally have tried to replicate it and have failed and have not had enough money. And a, a caller just now off the air as we get ready to go to Andy and Mitchell saying that, you know, when these 32 do this and tell everybody else to pound sand, my words, not his, there's going to be, there really is going to be antitrust suits yeah, like crazy. Yeah. I'm surprised one hasn't come up given where we are in the process. Maybe Andy has a, an idea on that. Andy and Mitchell, welcome to the program. 
Thanks, uh, John and TJ. Good to be here. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll just comment briefly because I'm, I'm going in a different direction on my call. But, yeah, no, to answer the question, yes, there is absolutely a cap for college football, and people are going to find that out. There's a, there's a limit, and it's regional. People, like TJ said, they grew up rooting for the team in their area or that they went to school at, and they're going to pay attention to those schools and those teams regardless of what level they're playing. And they're not going to give a crap about Georgia playing Alabama, especially now. They're, they're going to not tune in out of sight, which we're already starting to do. So right. there's a cap. And even in the NFL, I mean, I've grown up my whole life in a huge Seahawks fan. And while I understand the ratings and the numbers, but, I mean, I call that the Taylor Swift effect. So That's fair. We can talk about that. But, but with 8 million more. Um, I even find myself, and I'm, I'm not that old. I mean, I'm just maybe, maybe a few years older, a few years on TJ. But I, when we went to 17 games, I, 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 that didn't do anything for me. I was good with 16. I thought that was a lot already. Um, and, yeah, I'll tune in. I'll watch the Seahawks, of course. But, um, and I, I enjoy it. But I, I'm like, I think the product suffers. I think it gets really it, – it's just injuries yeah. and health. It's, I don't know if it's good for the game. I don't, I'm not a fan of increasing the game. Mm-hmm. And we saw that this year. Like, the, the quality of play – despite the ratings going up, the quality of play this year was notably worse. Right, right, yeah. And so I think, I think you're seeing the product take a little bit of a hit, and especially as, you know, the big-name players, when they're not healthy, um, you know, that hurts the game too. So, yeah, I, I think it's too much fun. The reason I called in, it is it's Arkansas Day, so I got to celebrate, um, and it's just got to take a, a walk down memory lane with you guys. So, I would say that the 2018 College World Series was like the greatest uh, validation, sports fandom validation moment of my life. Um, I did attend in person. Yeah. It was just a roller coaster, both on and off the field. Um, I went there actually with Merle Jr. Ooh. and uh, we thought we were going to do like a three day trip turned into with rain delays and so forth. It was like five days in Omaha. And so we get there. We're all trying to take it in. Game one's going to happen. We got the cheapest hotel we could find, like, that was somewhat nearby. It was across the river in Council Bluff, Iowa. <laughs> and it was, I mean, I just, I'll, I'll just say, it was the crustiest Super 8 you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> <laughs> and and you, know, you know it's bad when you walk in and you're pretty sure there's a blood stain on the carpet. <laughs> and so that's what we were dealing with. Yeah. That's what we were dealing with. And then to make matters worse, after the, the, the phobia set in and we assessed the situation, we had to make a run to the Walmart and get some supplies to eat between us and the bedding and the shower, like oh. flip-flops and so forth. And as we're walking with our we're losing Andy. Andy, we're losing you. Your signal. Can you hear me? Yeah, we got you now. Yeah, you sounded like you went into an okay. echo chamber. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, so we, we saw this guy who had clearly just also bought a sleeping bag from the store, <laughs> and we saw each other in the lobby, and we were both kind of just nodding, like, yeah, you made the right, you made the right choice. So <laughs> that was kind of the backdrop. And so... We go, game one gets rained out. We were in line for like four hours because we had the general admission outfield tickets. And so we got a taste of the Arkansas fans. They had a huge showing. And credit to them, they were super loud. They were really into it the whole time. But, you know, pretty obnoxious and like a lack of understanding, I think, of how good that Oregon State lineup was. They just, 
all they would tell us is like how great their players were and this pitcher they have and this freshman third baseman they have. And I'm like, have you like even looked at our lineup? There are four future first round picks in this lineup and Stephen Kwan, who was hurt at the time, but they're all batting over like 400 and they just totally ignored that. But anyway, the Arkansas fans, game one goes the way it goes. It was frustrating. We leave, you know, little little dejected, but feeling we're going to bounce back. You know, all we heard, you know, leaving the stadium, oh, yeah, hogs and two, hogs and two. Call them the pigs, all that. Game two, we get there. It's more of the same. We're sitting right behind the bullpen there in right field. And they're saying, you know, you know, hope, hope you guys are ready to dig out of this hole. You know, it's going to be, it might be over tonight. And we're, of course, sweating by the time that foul ball pops up. But when Larnick came up and hit that, that went right into our teeth behind the bullpen. That was right into our mouths. And the dejection of all these loud Arkansas fans, that just the wind was completely out of their sails. And to look around, it was, it was an absolute morgue. And it was the best moment ever just to see like, just that adrenaline rise up among the Beaver fans in the right field, the few in the crowd. And so uh, the way that finished was awesome. And then flash forward to day three, and it's like you could just tell in the line waiting outside. Everybody had already driven back to Fayetteville, and there was like maybe a third of the people in the stand. And we just went, and it was it, Kevin Abel just coasted. It was like it was like a practice. And I just that was the greatest validation of my sports life. And you know what did it? And why I'm tying this in. Between game one and game two, we said, let's just eat the reservation. We're moving hotels. And we got a nicer hotel. We took showers, and we cleansed ourselves. And that, my friends, is what won the 2018 World Series. We only have about a minute for you to react, but I, I had read back then, too, and heard stories of the Arkansas fans giving the business to Trevor Larnick out in right field quite a bit, like they were really riding him. So... Uh, oh yeah, the home yeah. run was extra special. <laughs> yeah, no, it was awesome because yeah, they would ride obviously the outfielders, and then our bullpen was out there too, and they just nonstop just going after these guys. So yes, it was it was a pretty beautiful moment. And Trevor Larnick is a pretty like stoic player, I'd say. His reaction kind of spells that out, spiking the helmet in the dugout. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great, great memory. I didn't know you were there. That, that I love it. That was fantastic. That helps us with our Arkansas talk because we haven't played them since. I heard rumor uh, from someone down there that there's a lot of Arkansas fan all over the place for tonight's game. Yeah, that's probably right. They traveled well to Omaha, and again, I had to remind him, you know, we had to get in something called an aeroplane. You travel out here from Oregon, you guys are about four hours away. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit different when you're closer. Great stuff, Andy. we got to go. Thanks for the call, man, and uh, those are great memories. Mm. Let's sneak in. Uh, no, we're good. I had to move them, so we're good mm-hmm. to go for oh. a couple of minutes. How about a couple of texts here? Um, Ryan I was going to listen on KEJOAM.com. Here's another one. Concerning basketball courts, my high school Cascade Christian in Southern Oregon played for a few years on a carpeted court. No shoe squeaks and sound of the dribble was off. It was weird. Kyle in Southwest Florida. Hmm. I've never seen a carpeted court, uh, only in churches, you know, where a church might have a court. And uh, as part of the building, that's I've seen that there. Regarding Kevin Abel, a texter writes, from what I understand, he likely did his damage playing in one of the wooden bat leagues that summer and was overutilized, and his pitch count went up that summer. 
that it was not necessarily related to the College World Series uh, extra appearance. I'm sure it all baked in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a. It's usually a totality injury more than more than anything. Right. Shout out to Tyler. Thanks for texting in. Um, let's see here. I have da 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 da. Okay, thank you on that one. Hi, John and TJ. Question. Can I listen to 93.7 on the air like I do, 12.40 a.m. down on, here in Phoenix? On, no, no. 93.7 is just our FM translator, and that's just a boosted signal in FM for Corvallis proper. Yeah, it's and it, it's the same origination. So if you're listening to KEJOAM.com less, it's the same. You're getting the same feed regardless. But you can listen to KEJOAM.com. Basketball is going to be on the stream this weekend. For baseball stream this weekend, I hate to say this, I hate it, but just uh, try go to the Varsity app. They have everything. They have every school and everything. We'd love you to come back to uh, to us, but we have crossover. What are you going to do? We only have one stream, and uh, we have crossover. I'd love it. I'd love it if uh, if ownership would give us another stream, but they're not that easy to go around. Doug in Salem, last night's game was so disappointing, yes. Seems we were up most of the game. We were. Then the team went away from team play, as the coach said. Absolutely. The TV show had a graft of our away game record. It was something like 2 of 38. Last night, for most of the game, it seemed we were going to break that terrible string. Yes, I thought I thought the Beavers would do it. 30 seconds, TJ. Well, Dave and Sandy is wondering how he gets time to play pickleball raking across his seven acres uh, while listening to the Joe Beaver Show. Dave, you could build one. You could build multiple courts there on your, uh, you got it. That's, I think that's how you could find some time. Yeah. That'd be good. That'd be fun. You could play in a, speaking of different services, a grass court, a grass pickleball court. Yeah. Um, and then someone who played at a high school in Joseph did play on the three-line court of which I speak, built in the 1930s. Thank you for that text, because uh, it is something. The weekend is here. Have a great one.